Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. If you're aspiring to satisfy your customers, you're aspiring to mediocrity. That's the opening line from our guest's latest book. John Picot is the founder of Watermark Consulting, known for its groundbreaking customer experience study. He's also the author of the new book, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. John, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, Jeffrey, it's good to be here with you. Well, thanks so much for joining us, especially we're, we're taping this right before Thanksgiving. So it's a great week for us to get together. Now, you've got to explain what you mean by the first line in your book. How is customer satisfaction not doing enough? Don't we want to satisfy our customers? I'd argue that satisfaction is a one-way ticket to the business graveyard. Um, and as you noted, you know the opening line of the book is that if you are aspiring to satisfy your customers, you're aspiring to mediocrity. And the reason I say that is because Study after study has shown that satisfied customers defect all the time. If you're trying to derive competitive advantage, strategic advantage, economic advantage from the experience that you're delivering to people, it's not enough to merely satisfy them. You need to impress them. You need to leave that indelible impression in their minds that's going to cultivate the repurchase and referral behavior that's really the lifeblood of any company. Well, referrals are the name of the game right now, being able to get it. There's so many different choices, so many messages. And of course, we're in this select, deselect society where we're filtering out every single message. How low is the customer service bar these days? It's pretty darn low. Too low for even existing measurements to gauge, I'd say, in some <laughs> cases. You know, as part of the research that I did for the book, we did some consumer polls and, you know, the results were just amazing. Three quarters of the people that we surveyed said that businesses don't consistently meet even their basic expectations. Over uh, half of people said that they're not at all surprised when someone at a business fails to call them back when promised or fails to do what they said they were going to do. You know, I think that we have in many ways become almost accustomed and habituated to just really crummy customer experiences. While that's unfortunate, the silver lining there is that it represents a huge opportunity for any business that is able to differentiate itself along that axis. Because it's a way to, again, make that impression on people because it's not something that they come across to, uh, you know, in their interactions with many businesses. Explain to our audience, what's the difference between customer experience and customer service? Customer service is really but one component of the end-to-end -end customer experience. Customer experience really encompasses every live, print, and digital interaction point that customers may stumble across when they interact with you or your business. I mean, it begins even before somebody's a customer, you know, even during the pre-sale stage, when somebody first hears about your company through an advertisement, through a social media post, that's part of your customer experience. And the experience really persists far long, longer than many people would anticipate. You know, you hope you never have a customer that defects from your business, but I'd argue that point of defection deserves to be managed as deliberately and intentionally as any other touch point in your customer life cycle. So customer service is just one small piece of it. And actually, the interesting thing, Jeffrey, is you could argue that companies that have a need for a lot of customer service, that actually implies that there might be something awry with the broader customer experience. 
Because in many industries, if your customers need to contact you for service, it means something else went wrong. It was hard to assemble a product. You know, something that was promised during sales wasn't delivered afterwards. Customer experience and customer service are definitely not synonymous. Let me take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with my guest, John Pico, the founder of Watermark Consulting, known for its groundbreaking customer experience study, and we're talking about his brand new book, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and employees into lifelong fans. Can you automate customer experience and customer service? Certainly, many companies have tried to. Uh, you know, all of us are familiar with the chat bots that we run into when we're you know seeking assistance from a company. So, can you automate it? Absolutely. But the better question is, should you automate yeah. it in every instance? Because uh, I think where companies go wrong is when, in the interest of efficiency, they seek to completely automate an entire part of their customer experience. They deprive customers of choices. You know, they force you, for example, that you can only get service through an email exchange with a representative. You know, you can't talk to anybody. You can't even live chat with them. And that's very frustrating for customers, particularly if they have a complex issue. So I think the companies that do this well recognize that there is a place for automation, but that it can't be the only platform through which you're engaging with your customers, and that there are certain scenarios, certain types of episodes where the human touch is still something that's very much needed and that customers very much appreciate. I was uh, doing an inter exchange with uh, an airline where I got double booked on the same day. And of course, I called them on the phone. And right away during that automated telephone exchange, waiting to talk to a live person, they kept trying to say, hey, would you like to text us instead? And I'm going, no way. Even though it was a 25-minute wait, I said, no way am I going to text you about my refund for hundreds of dollars. It's amazing <laughs> what they do. You, have you ever found the sadistic bastard who in, invented the 1-800 number, by the way, with a telephone tree? I want to know who that person is. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that he's on the, uh, the, the most wanted list of the FBI, probably. I yeah, agree you with know, you. Uh, certainly, it was one of those business inventions that most consumers would look at and say really wasn't an advancement in, in human yeah. interest. <laughs> Who owns this customer experience? When you think about it, I, you know, I talk about marketers own the inception of the idea all the way through customer satisfaction. If you're a CMO, that's what I would say. That's the role of marketing right there. But the customer experience is inside of it. Who really owns it? I think that it's dangerous to point to a particular department or an individual who, quote, owns customer experience. Customer experience is better viewed not as a department, 
but really as an ethic. Uh, you know, it is just a philosophy. It's a way of doing business. It would be like asking, well, who's in charge in our organization of growing our business, you know, or doing business well? I mean, ultimately, everybody plays a part, no matter what role you possess, no matter what title is on your business card, you've got a role in that. And I think customer experience is the same way. And I think that companies that do this well are very good at instilling in their entire workforce this sense of purpose so that no matter what role I have, no matter where I sit in the organization, I have direct line of sight between what I am doing and how it impacts the end customer. And so in that sense, I think it is valid to say that the quality of the customer experience is ultimately in the hands of everyone in the organization because everybody plays a part in that value chain. And if any link in that chain is weak in any way, then the game is up and the company really has lost its, uh, its best chance to impress customers. And don't forget, as all of us know, you're only as good as your weakest link in any chain, That's no right. matter what it is. You know, my friend and good marketing strategy expert, David Meerman Scott, wrote a, a book called Fanocracy about the importance of creating fans. He uses his obsession, uh, obsession with the Grateful Dead as an example. How important is it for companies to create fans these days? I think it's critically important because if you think about the voices that we trust and how we learn about other businesses and who we seek out for guidance and advice when we need something, a particular type of product or service, it's a very social enterprise these days, you know, particularly with the advent of all the social media platforms, everybody's really got a megaphone. You know, everybody can shout from the rooftops about the experience they had with a company that was just fantastic or the experience that they had that was abysmal. And I think that in an environment where everybody has that kind of megaphone, it becomes that much more important to make sure that you are creating people who aren't, again, just satisfied uh, with your business, but are raving lifelong fans, because that's where your next customer is going to come from uh, via that word of mouth. Especially if they're out there talking about it on their social media. Speaking of fans, in the book, you describe a customer experience as happening both backstage and on stage. And I absolutely love that. What do you mean by that? I like to describe a great customer experience as uh, it's like a beautifully choreographed stage performance. And the reason I like that analogy is because if you think about it, no matter what business you're in, you know, what kind of reaction do you want to elicit from your customers? You want them to stand at the end of the performance uh, and, and, and applaud and, and shout encore. And then when they eventually leave the theater, you want them to rave about the performance they just saw to anyone in their circle of influence. And so I really like that idea of, of, the, sta of the performance analogy. And if you take that analogy a step further, there really is an onstage component to the customer experience and a backstage. And the onstage is everything your customers can see, feel, hear, and touch every live print and digital interaction point, websites, retail stores, print communications, bills, invoices, contracts, all of that stuff. And th that's where I think most people's heads go when they think about customer experience. But then there's this backstage component. And that's how everything that happens behind the curtain that while invisible to your customers, necessarily influences the quality of the experience, the quality of the performance that's delivered to them. And as an example, how you hire and select your actors and actresses, your employees, if you mm. will. Obviously, that process is invisible to your customers. But if you're not doing that well, then the people that are going to be delivering the customer experience on your behalf aren't going to be equipped with the right skills to make that happen. So how you hire people is a backstage element. How you measure and reward them is another example of something that shapes their behaviors 
that while completely invisible to your customers is obviously going to have an impact on the experience that they get. And so that's a really important thing for any company to realize is that it's not just about choreographing that onstage experience. It's also about choreographing what's happening behind the scenes and making sure that your workforce is really properly equipped and inspired to deliver that great performance at every moment. Where do you see the best customer experiences? What companies, what industries do you see that? And then I'm going to ask you, where are we seeing the worst ones too? The ones that I'd say have the best are the ones where it's just almost impossible to ignore your customer because they are just every day right in front of you, you know, face to face. I think that the hospitality industry, the hotel industry is an example of an industry that traditionally is rated relatively high relative to other industries and customer experience. And that's out of necessity. You know, there's just so many live interaction points. People are, uh, you know, whether it's a business traveler or a vacation traveler, they're expecting a level of hospitality just given the nature of the industry. And so I think that's an arena that much longer than, than other industries has been focused on customer experience. Even before give a couple a of shout outs. I mean, I think they give a couple of shout outs like the Ritz. I mean, you know, they go out of their way. I love the Ritz, staying the at the Ritz seasons, and Marriott yeah. property. Uh, yeah. Double trees, the double tree. I, you know, that little chocolate, chocolate chip, chip cookies. cookies. Check exactly. It's, I yeah. mean, I, I've actually had them deliver it on stage because I tweeted, uh, you know, before going on stage, I'm at the double tree. I wonder if I'll get a cookie. And right at the beginning of my speech, they walked out with a glass of milk and a tray full of cookies for me. Right. That's 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 an experience. That's saying something over and above. Right. What other experience that you enjoy in the moment? You remember that for a long time to come. And, you know, that's what this is all about is creating those experiences that people remember. And they give me cookies to go. I thought that was pretty good, too. So if I could just get Nooski's bacon to give me bacon and that would be pretty (laughs) good. What other industries do you see some of that great customer? I, you know, you said hospitalities. I see restaurants, certainly bars, things like that, where it's a really hands-on kind of experience. Right. Yes. I think those are other examples of industries that are in customers, in consumers' minds, that is a hospitality you know, entity, going to a restaurant. You're a guest, if you will, on the premises. You know, to answer your other question about industries that are kind of at the bottom, I think that that sectors that are perennially low rated in customer experience are industries like cable and internet services, um, <laughs> sure. health insurers, mm-hmm. another example. And you know what's common about those industries is they're industries where consumers, sadly, don't have a lot of choice often, right? In your neighborhood, you know you might have only one cable provider unless you want to switch to satellite and put a dish on your roof, which you might not be interested in doing. In the health insurance realm, your employer may only offer the choice of one or two entities that you can get insurance with. And if you're on the individual insurance market in some states, there's even less choice than that. In industries where it is sort of monopolistic and there's just fewer choice for consumers, those industries can arguably get away with an experience, a customer experience that's not as good. However, I would argue that that is something that can only persist in the short term. Eventually, that environment is one that is ripe for disruption. And eventually, other players come in and they just figure out a different way to engineer the experience, a better, build a better mousetrap. You look, for example, at what Uber did to the entire taxi industry. You know, the taxi industry was not a delightful experience per se, but they had a lock on the market. But then Uber came along and figured out a better way to do it. And, uh, you know, the taxi industry is, 
is sort of a shell of its former self as a result. Figuring out a better way to do it. Let me take a quick break. I want to come back. I wanted to ask you about being memorable when we come back from this break. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. C-Suite Radio. I'm talking to John Picot, the founder of Watermark Consulting, known for its groundbreaking customer experience study. And we're talking about his book, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. And we need to be able to build those lifelong fans every single day. I think that's pretty critical. John, another one of my friends, a Hall of Fame speaker, Scott McCain, speaks on companies being iconic. And Scott's, in fact, he actually has a great story about Taxi Terry, I think, in one of his early books. And he, of course, brings it back in Iconic. And he talks about them offering such a differentiated customer experience, even businesses outside your industries will talk about it. How important is it to be memorable? It's very important to be memorable. And, and here's why. If you look at the companies that do customer experience well, what they really recognize is that they are in the business, not just of shaping people's experiences, they're in the business of shaping their memories. Arguably, how people remember their interactions with a business is more important than the experience itself. And here's why, Jeffrey, you know, imagine if, let's say you're my customer, okay? And one of your colleagues at an industry conference says, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm uh, in the market for customer experience consulting services. I remember you telling me you worked with uh, John Pico's firm, Watermark Consulting. How were they? Well, the next thing that comes out of your mouth is not going to be based on the experience that you had with my company. It's going to be based on what you remember about that experience. And the way our brains are wired, those two things can actually be quite different. What the book really focuses on and what great companies are really good at is shaping people's perceptions and sculpting their memories so that you're delivering an experience that people don't just enjoy in the moment, but they also remember fondly for a long time to come. And let's face it, it's that recollection that is ultimately going to influence their decision to either repurchase from you in the future or to refer other friends, family, colleagues to you when they have a need for your products and services. So creating those memorable interactions is key. and there's a science to doing it. You just told the story about what happened with Doubletree on stage with you with the cookie. There was an element of surprise there. And that's one of the principles that, that's addressed in the book. When surprising things happen to us, the neurons in our brain fire in a different way and they create long-term memories. So companies, for example, that are good at this, they know how to use the element of surprise, pleasant surprise, to really etch, sear into people's heads the memory of the interaction. So memory is an essential part of this whole equation. How about the way employees treat their customers? Does that translate to customer experience? The way organizations treat their employees. Yeah, I just want to make sure I get that right. 
how yeah. they treat their employees, does that translate to customer experience? It absolutely does on many levels. Uh, the employees obviously are those actors and actresses that are behind the curtain, right, backstage. You've got to make sure that they are engaged, inspired, and equipped with the right tools in order to deliver that great performance day in and day out. So that's on one level why it's important uh, for, with the employee audience. But there is another level too, and that is employees are a type of customer. They are not paying the company right for, to, to work there. The company, the employer is paying them. But nevertheless, employees are looking to derive value from the relationship with that employer, uh, just as a consumer, a customer is. And so it's really important to view employees as a type of customer and to engineer a workplace experience for them that turns them into lifelong fans and makes them want to stick around, makes them want to recruit friends and family to come work there. And I think in today's environment, you see how important this is, given how power has shifted from employers to employees with the demand for talent and the lack of supply. The balance of power has shifted and companies are much more focused. Well, smart companies are much more focused on what kind of environment are we creating for our staff? I mean, let's face it, a lot of staff didn't want to come back from remote work. That is symptomatic of a bigger issue. There's something that's missing for them in the workplace. And the companies that are going to win in the future are going to create a work environment and an employee experience that turns those folks into lifelong fans for that company. With one minute left, let me ask you about that labor shortage that we're seeing. How is that making customer experience suffer? It suffers because we're waiting longer in lines. We're waiting longer for service. And so just by design, if I don't have enough people on staff, whether it's in a call center or a restaurant or a hotel, that is going to impair the quality of the experience. But it gets back to, you know, are you an employer of choice? Are you creating a recruiting experience for job candidates that draws talented people in? And once they're on board, are you retaining them well and creating an experience that helps them to thrive? I think the companies that effectively do that, paying a livable wage, delivering great benefits and whatnot, they're the ones that will win the day in the long term, particularly during a time of staffing shortages. Well, and I don't think we're out of the woods yet by a long shot. I think we're going to see some of those employee shortages for a while around a lot of those businesses that could have a better customer experience of, hey, if they, as they start with that internal customer first and then work on that external customer. John, thanks for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey As It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jeffrey. I really enjoyed our talk. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what did I learn? You know, I always learn good things in every single show. And today was one of those things. I love being able to take care and talk about taking care of your first customers. That's your employees first. Make sure your employees are happy. And then if your employees are happy, you've got them going where you want. Well, then they're going to want to do more for those other customers, right? Those other customers. So you got that first customer, which are your employees. And then that second customer, and also obviously a very important one, being those customers that pay you every single day, hopefully on a regular basis. Well, that's what I thought about today as I was listening to John. I thought that was very important for us to be able to mark a little note next to that and remember to practice that every single day. Hey, speaking of practice something every day, do me a favor and refer us today to somebody else that you love the show, that you like to listen, and they should be listening to all business with Jeffrey Azit right here on C-Suite Radio.
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.